One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're a fan of this week's guest, you know to expect the unexpected. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and I am so excited to welcome Eric Andre to today's show. Eric is probably best known for pulling some truly outrageous pranks on The Eric Andre Show, which has been running on Adult Swim since 2012 and is finally returning for its long-awaited fifth season very soon. This month, he's debuting his first-ever hour-long stand-up special on Netflix. It's called Legalize Everything, and it opens with a sketch in which Eric impersonates a New Orleans cop and hands out free drugs to strangers. The absurdity and hypocrisy of police in America have been a recurring theme in Eric's comedy throughout his career, a theme that has never been more timely as we talk about on today's show. And it shows up again in his upcoming prank movie, Bad Trip, which will also be premiering on Netflix later this year. Just one thing to note, I mentioned to Eric during our talk that the TV show Cops had been postponed because of the protests over George Floyd's killing. Barely an hour after we spoke, it was officially canceled. Before we get to our conversation, if you're enjoying this show, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have ideas for guests you want to hear on the show or questions you want me to ask comedians, let us know in your review and they could end up in a future episode. You can also go to ratethispodcast.com slash laugh to rate this podcast wherever you listen. But right now, let's get to my conversation with Eric Andre. Inflating. Almost. We almost got it. And we nailed it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of talking at this very crazy time on many levels. Um, how are you? How are you holding up? How are you... Um, and I guess the follow-up to that is, are you sick of white people asking, how are you holding up? I embrace it. I embrace it with an open <laughs> Um, I don't think, I don't think black people, I mean, this is an ongoing reality for black people, police mm-hmm. brutality. So like black people aren't shocked by this. Mainstream uh, white people are shocked by this. And Indi- people that were indifferent before, or apathetic before are now forced to have an opinion and force the people that were inactive before are now forced to be active yeah. because the killing of George Floyd was so graphic and everybody had such a front row ticket to it. So this is all the racism and, and, and white nationalism and police brutality and corruption in the justice system that I've been complaining about my whole life and black people have been complaining about my whole life. So this is this isn't a new America. The America that existed before George Floyd's death is the same America that exists now. I just think people that were in a bubble before, they're bubble burst. So, which is a good thing. Now people that were inactive, like I said, are being active, which is great. And that's why you see um, the turnout at these civil rights demonstrations and rallies is the, is the largest turnout in civil rights history. Yeah. So it's it's ultimately a great thing. I think that like there's a connection too with 
the pandemic, people have been locked in their houses all day and they're, and they're on unemployment or they can't work. So in a weird way that that's helping the movement because people mm-hmm. are just like, can't wait to get out, bursting at the seams to get out and be active and, and work on something again. And this is such a noble cause to kind of dismantle the uh, system of police brutality we have. Yeah. I mean, it did occur to me watching your new special and then going back and looking at, you know, some of your other work again, that the police have been a theme in your work for for quite a long time, whether it's, you know, uh, imi- uh, impersonating police as you do at the beginning of your special and you did on uh, Eric Andre show um, and, yeah, and, and, and interacting are, with them as well. And yeah. And, and like middle aged white people, like some people at Netflix and some people, um, the guy, from, this guy from the New York Times was like, oh, are you going to like change the cop joke or like maybe we shouldn't lead with the cop joke or like yeah. the cold open cop prank? Are you going to cut that out now? I'm like, no, guys, <laughs> this is the best time to do these jokes. Yeah, I am blessed that I was clairvoyant in the production that happened in October that I could see that like like this is what we need we need to point out the absurdity of the police department and and what a fucking hypocrisy and a disgrace it is we need to point out police brutality i am like blessed that my stand-up special is coming out in this time with this i couldn't believe that the guy from the new york times had interviewed me he's so smart and brilliant and he was like aren't you gonna cut out the the cold open of you as the cop now i'm like (laughs) no i'm pointing out that the absurdity in the job of a yeah. police officer. And what, My friend's a lawyer and he goes, I had to go to school for seven years to practice law. Why do these guys only have to go to school for like three fucking weeks to enforce? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Hairdressers have to go to school longer than cops. It makes no <laughs> sense. So yeah, I mean, like I, like I said, I've been complaining about police brutality and racism my whole life. So it's not new to me. I'm just like, now Now people have a front row seat to it. Yeah. Thank God for camera phones. And thank God the people, exi- the, the people, God bless the people that filmed George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. They need to be, they need a round of applause because we wouldn't be seeing the change that's starting to happen now if it wasn't. Yeah. People have just had enough. There's really, I think, nothing that, in nothing that uh, breaks this down better in some ways than the, Part in your special about the the theme to cops, the uh, yeah. the reggae the reggae theme to cops. Do you remember the show Cops? Did you guys ever watch the show Cops? Is it just me or is reggae the most inappropriate music they could have picked to open up the show Cops? You can't slap reggae over police brutality footage and call it a day. You can, that's not an intro. For her show. The intro to cops is like, you're under arrest, you unarmed, innocent black teenager. Boom! Jamaica Mongom downtown. Rastavari. Welcome to the island of peace and purity. Just my boots, you disenfranchised transgender prostitute. Boom! Jamaica is a tropical island. Our national currency is the delicious coconut. <laughs> the 
this is a system invented by rich, white, Christian, heterosexual businessmen. And if you don't match that description, then it is my job to subjugate and oppress you, motherfucker! For I am your judge, jury, and executioner! Yeah, that's one of my oldest jokes. That's like right when I started doing comedy. That, mm. that I've dragged that joke across like 17 years of stand-up. Yeah, you didn't know how, how relevant it would be right now, or maybe you did. I don't know. I think it's always been relevant. There's always <laughs> been police brutality. I, I think that the... I don't know. The police force is... It's like... The, the police force is an antiquated system, but their unions are so powerful. They're like mm. a mafia and they bully mayors into doing their bidding. And they're so they're completely autonomous. So there's no oversight and they get away with literal murder. But they're mm. like a mob. They're like a hell's angel gang with a ton of money and a ton of political power. And that's what we have to dismantle right now. We need to put that money towards better resources, that help marginalized communities. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did see that they they just anyway. My yeah. my stand up my yeah, comedy special comes out June twenty third. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? uh, every every interview I've done for the it's, past like week is so heavy. Yeah. So political, <laughs> so heavy, and I'm like, listen, guys, I got a bunch of dick jokes coming. <laughs> like, yeah. But the yeah, I mean, that... jokes are on their way. Where are you not, America? The other thing I was going to ask you about Cops is that I don't know if you saw, I just saw a news story that they delayed the season 33 premiere of Cops because of everything that's going on. <laughs> and I wanted to get your, your reaction I didn't know to they're that still, news. I didn't know they're still in production. Yeah, they are. I, I Somebody was telling me about this article they read about how how horrible the TV show Cops is. Like mm-hmm. the producers, when the people are being beaten and arrested, they go, hey, if you sign this, will release you and it's a television release form. It doesn't mean they'll be released. They like dupe them into signing the release form so they don't have to blur their face. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I heard. And also just the way it portrays cops as the good guys and like, you know, poor people and black people and marginalized people are the bad guys, are the antagonists in cops. It's, um, and I read an article about how the cops that they film kind of turn it up a notch for the camera. Yeah, and like they're people, on camera. Yeah, people have been shot unnecessarily and they've used excessive force to make good television. So I think yeah. the show Cops is pretty corrupt. Probably. Yeah, well, maybe it will never return, but I don't, I don't know if we, we can- have a 33 season run. <laughs> I think we're fine. We're good. I think it's time to fucking hang up the jersey. You yeah. Know? Um, well, I do want to talk about comedy and your and your special um, and later, later topics. Um, I heard uh, today that you got um, some advice from Dave Chappelle before taping this special. Is that is that accurate? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he didn't. It wasn't like this grand phone call. We were mm-hmm. just pushing backstage at Hannibal Show in Chicago. And I was telling him about how I was nervous uh, about going into my special. And he was like, he's, he's very sweet and supportive and nurturing. He's very, like, and I, I kind of hang on his every word since he's yeah. like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he was just saying that... Um, don't worry about being funny all 60 minutes. Just be worry about being interesting. And he goes, and Eric, you are interesting. You're bomb. <laughs> Don't worry. Take the pressure off. 
And it was not just a really sweet, nurturing moment from him, but uh, I thought it was very accurate because I, I, I think when I flash back in that moment, I flash back all in my mind, all my favorite comedians, it's like, yeah, I might not be laughing beginning to end at a Bill Hicks album, but I'm just like on the edge of my seat, curious of his opinion mm -hmm. about everything. You know what I mean? Same with Richard Pryor, Joan Rivers, Chris Rock, Chappelle, you know, like I'm just like, I'm fascinated by their opinion. They, they're so smart and they have such nuanced opinions. They're so interesting. There's so much depth to their character that um, I think that is sage wisdom from the master himself. Yeah. And like Chappelle and some of those other comics, I think you have a, a fan base, a crowd that will really go with you to some crazy places and, and wherever you want to go. How would you kind of describe your fans and, and your relationship to your fans? I think that my fans are like wild. They love anarchy. They, it's like the first time I've felt understood in my life. <laughs> but uh, they're really invested. They like it down and dirty and punk rock. They're not easily offended, which is like, I think a misconception about a lot of like millennial woke culture. They're like the opposite. They like almost want to be offended. So, uh, I am um, blessed and uh, I'm just so happy that I have, have a fan base and I have a career because I was like down to my last dollar when I sold Eric Andre show to those ones. Yeah, and that's really what kind of made you take off with, with those people and, and build a fan base was through that show, right? 100%, yeah. Yeah, and you, you have some stories in the special as well about meeting your fans. So does that, uh, is there, have there been sort of odd instances of, of meeting your fans or do you always like to when people but they, always, to I, they think i'm as crazy as i am on the show which is a testament i guess to my performance on the show that it's it's because i'm completely insane i'm like a an unthawed caveman that <laughs> has been the talk show and like in reality i'm kind of like a boring suburban i meditate twice a day mm -hmm. i like try not to eat sugar, <laughs> like very <laughs> kind of mild mannered, like yeah. day to day. Like if, I, if it's my birthday party, I'll turn up, but I'm not like, I'm not the guy on the show 24 seven. I get that out of my system in front of the cameras. So, mm. uh, so I think it's almost like a disappointment when they meet me. I remember in Toronto, <laughs> I was getting a banh mi sandwich at this Vietnamese place. I was online waiting to order my sandwich. And this kid came up to me and he was like, Eric Andre, no fucking way. Ah! And I was like, oh, nice to meet you, man. And he, he just like, I was so pedestrian and boring in that moment that he was just like, he looked at me like I was a broken toy and he started punching me on my back. He was like, ah! And I was like, ah! A sandwich for work. So, uh, I'm not that great. I, I yeah. wish I was crazier. Were you, were you more of that guy when you started it? I think that guy's in me mm -hmm. always, but uh, that guy couldn't function in the real world 24 seven. I couldn't shop for groceries and just be like, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. What was the original concept for the show and, and how did you envision it at the beginning? The show is pretty much the original concept has stayed the same mm -hmm. throughout, throughout from the beginning. Adultsum is so hands-off and, and creatively nurturing that like, you're kind of seeing what it always was. We filmed the first pilot presentation 
on my own dime in an abandoned bodega in Brooklyn, me and Hannibal and my director, Kitao, and we like cleaned out a rat's nest of broken glass out of this abandoned <laughs> bodega and filmed the studio stuff in there. And then we went to a Colonial Williamsburg type of place mm-hmm. uh, and filmed the slaves prank. And we crashed at McDonald's and we filmed the Ronald McDonald prank. Um, the show's always been kind of prank based and kind of what, what you see today. Yeah, and you've taken kind of a, a break since the since the last season. Are you? What's the? Well, what's the only deal? because only because on? of the movie, the Bad Trip movie, yeah. bring, three and a half, four years to film. So we're doing a fifth season. I'm almost done with season five editing. Oh, really? That's going to come out at the end of the year. Yeah, I didn't want to take that long off, but it just the movie. It was no small feat making that movie, so it took a while. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah. So uh, if I had my druthers, I would have just put out season five right after season four, but. Whatever. I'm taking a Larry David approach where I had to <laughs> yeah. do another project and then come back to the show, which is fine because we learned so much on the movie that we brought that into season five. And I think season five is the best season by far. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to see Bad Trip. Uh, I was really bummed that I didn't get to. I was supposed to see it at South by Southwest. And I know that's where you were uh, supposed to premiere it. I'm, I'm sure I'm you're heartbroken. heartbroken. Yeah, because I think that just would have been absolutely insane in front of that crowd and Heart broken. It, it does feel that like will, a very... that, will, that will haunt that will haunt me that 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 timing of the coronavirus like just a week off will haunt me forever it'll yeah. haunt me forever. but we ended up in the best place we're on netflix that has 102 182 million subscriptions like that the fact that the movie is now on netflix is like huge and it'll go across so many eyeballs like it's netflix is better than a theatrical release in my opinion. yeah um, but do you feel like i mean do you feel like there is something lost in that in that movie theater experience because it is the kind oh, of thing yeah, that I would everyone have loved, in the same uh, yeah place. i mean what can i do yeah you know what can i do the theaters are closed they may never reopen and i would have loved to have done south by southwest but the coronavirus isn't in any of our yeah. power to change so what can i do yeah but, but as far as like this new corona world that we live in uh the 21st century solution netflix is the best option by far and if not a a better option than a theatrical release as far as like click of a button access and the amount of eyeballs that they have worldwide so i had a i had low rel howry on the podcast uh last fall and he was telling some some stories from his experience on the on the movie i think he wasn't quite sure what he was allowed to talk about but he did talk a little bit about the um the barbershop situation yeah Um, yeah and he basically said uh, that he he told me that he basically almost quit his first day because he was so <laughs> freaked out by what was happening. He did. <laughs> and his second day and his yeah. third day. Yeah, we got a knife pulled out on us right when he started shooting. He's never done pranks before. <laughs> yeah. And like his opening ceremony was this guy looking for his gun. So I'll tell the audience the story of that. Didn't hear the yeah. podcast. We'll get it from your side, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same as real story. Me and Rel had a scene where our characters do a bunch of drugs, pass out, then they wake up and their dicks are stuck in a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> and we start running all over town with our dicks stuck in a Chinese finger trap and we can't get out. We're like, ah, help us out, help us out. And we we ran into this, and it's all real, hidden camera pranks. None of this is staged or scripted. It's all real, hidden camera pranks with real people. We ran into a barbershop with our dicks in a Chinese finger trap. And, and we were like deep in the hood in Atlanta. And this dude, this barber was like, Oh hell no! He went like in a rage because he thought we were just like freaks. <laughs> like, 
jerking <laughs> up our kids in this barbershop. So he started looking for his gun, couldn't find his gun, grabbed his knife, chased us out. We can barely run in this finger yeah. trap contraption. The thing snaps. The guy's like about to attack us. Security jumps out. They're like, stop. Rel's like rolls under a fucking car. And, uh, and then we were like, it's a hidden camera break. It's a hidden camera break. And the guy was like, oh, hell no. Y'all are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign this release. When's the movie come out? And he, uh, yeah, the guy, the guy was cool. And then he was like, yeah, you guys should do these pranks in this neighborhood. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the, the concept of the movie in a lot of ways, though, right? Is that you're going into places that maybe don't always get these kinds of pranks uh, pranks happening. Yeah. I mean, we wanted some stakes, you know, like Jackass and Sasha Baron Cohen. They set the bar so unbelievably high that, like, unless you are risking your life, you you, you can't even come close to those guys. So, um, uh, yeah, like, you know. And you, and you, uh, you consulted Sasha Baron Cohen, uh before the movie or during or briefly yeah he just like invited me and my producer my director over to his house to like watch a rough cut of the movie we were very sweet we like drank wine he watched a rough cut with us gave us some notes and he was just like he's a mensch he just was like out of the kindness of his heart just sincerely just like gave us like a little quick crash course and like what to do for the reshoots and like what Mm -hmm. not to do and um yeah he was great Besides the uh, the knife being pulled, is there a, a scariest moment on the on the shoot where you really felt like your life was in danger? Yeah, there was another guy in a bar that I was like, there was a scene. I don't even think we this made the final cut of the movie, but I'm like urinating all over this bar because I'm wasted at this cowboy bar, and this guy, uh, this like redneck guy, was like, "You better fucking get that piss away from me, or I'll break your face off," kind of guy. Mm. And then I kept, you know, lighting him up and peeing near him and being a menace and he uh he's he cracked his neck took a shot of whiskey and got up to like (laughs) tackle me and then like my safe word is popcorn like when i'm about to get punched yeah i'm gonna like almost get punched but you don't want to actually get punched because you'll shut down production so when i'm about to get punched i go popcorn 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 and my crew is supposed to come in and call the bit but i kept forgetting my safe word because my (laughs) was surging so i kept saying goosebumps so i'd just be like goosebumps 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 and my director who's watching a video village through the hidden camera like monitors he's like he said goosebumps i don't do we do we stop what's happening <laughs> that part of the I look at security like they'll be like off in the peripheral i'll be like goosebumps oh that popcorn <laughs> I've been over and saved my life yeah i mean going back to the you know police brutality stuff have there been moments on these shoots where you had close calls with police or confrontations with police i got arrested yeah eric andre show i got i've got i've gotten arrested a couple times so um but that was almost more because of our own ignorance and not knowing how to produce hidden camera pranks properly. Mm-hmm. That was like us being naive and like wet behind the ears. So I went to jail season one. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is, do you feel like it's more risky for you to do this kind of thing than for Sasha Baron Cohen or, you know, Nathan Fielder or the jackass guys maybe, to do it? Maybe yeah, in a racial way. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's more dangerous to be black in public, period, clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if George Floyd was white, he'd be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, I know friends, somebody tweeted out, like, I got in trouble once for using a counterfeit $20 bill, and it's like a story I joke about at dinner parties. George mm-hmm. Floyd used a counterfeit $20 bill, and he lost his life. So, uh, 
Yeah, I guess. I don't really look at it like that, though, because clearly mm-hmm. Johnny Knoxville and Sasha Baron Cohen are at the level where they almost have a death wish. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, they're pranking, <laughs> like, Sasha's pranking terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not looking at those guys, like, with such woke eyes. Mm-hmm. But I think it is, in general, in America, it's more dangerous to be black in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without, without, George Floyd wasn't pranking anybody. You know what I mean? Right. So, exactly. Uh, you don't have to prank somebody to have your life at risk just being black. Coming up, Eric shares his uncensored thoughts on Joe Biden and Bill Cosby. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I wanted to just talk a little bit about politics because I know you've been involved in stuff and you, you know, endorsed Bernie earlier this year. Um, so I just wanted to check in with you and see how you're how you're feeling about the situation with now that it's you know Biden. Um, I think and, that I think that America is being held hostage by Donald Trump, and we have to just push Grandpa Biden through the door. Mm-hmm. Like, what can we do? Those are my two options. I got to hold my nose or vote for Biden. Like, yeah. I can't. We can't. If we have another four, look at how bad a shape our country is in right now we have the worst unemployment since the great depression we have covid running rampant 100 105,000 deaths from covid whereas australia new zealand has no covid japan has little to no covid they didn't have to shut down their economy so like there's absolutely no leadership he keeps saying like when the looting starts the shooting starts the guy's clearly pandering to white nationalism and and, and racist like he is so corrosive. We're in such a, he has America hostage. We're in like a crisis situation. Just push old man Biden through the door. Like whatever. Like, yeah. like I'll, I'll vote for a fucking turtle over mm. Trump. It's like, dang, like clearly this, this country is in great jeopardy and great danger at the hands of this guy. He it, like Trump has worms eating his brain. Do you worry that that other you know Bernie supporters won't have that same outlook and will stay home or will? I mean, the ones I talk to are holding their nose and voting for Biden. We're in a we're in a mm. we're in an emergency situation with Trump at the wheel. We're in an yeah. emergency situation, so nobody like it's fine. Like fucking get Biden to push old man Biden through the door. Mm. Like it's totally fine. It, and anything is better than Donald Trump. Do you think Bernie would have had a better chance of beating him? I do. I think the more, because he's more exciting and there's like a, a movement behind him. And I think that the exciting candidate wins and people are like, no, he could have never won. But I'm like, guys, 
at the end of the Bush, Bush's second term, if you told me a black guy was going to be president next, I'd be like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And Obama won twice. And then at the end of Obama, if you told me that the host of The Celebrity Apprentice was going to be the next president, I would have gone, yeah, right. So America surprises me every time. And I can tell you, America, for the last three elections, it feels like America wants somebody different. I want somebody outside of the status quo. That's why there's people that voted for both Obama and Donald Trump. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. But I think that everybody has to register to vote. Uh, I believe in mail-in voting. I think like clog the postal service with mail-in votes mm-hmm. um, because the more people that vote, the less of a chance Trump has to win. The Republicans are in the minority in this country now because they've marginalized everybody. They've marginalized black voters, Latino voters, Asian voters, LGBT voters, most sensible women. I don't understand why the majority of white women voted for Trump over Hillary Clinton last <laughs> election. Yeah. That will forever remain a mystery and kind of like a very, I don't know why people don't talk about that more. That's like very kind of disturbing and like Mm -hmm. a darkness in womanhood. Um, I don't know. So I don't know, man. Watch my new comedy special. (laughs) June 23rd everywhere on Netflix. It's a real knee slapper. Uh, Who am I, man? I'm not Noam Chomsky. Shit, I'm just some schmuck. You almost convinced me that you are, but... (laughs) Um, The other part of the special that I wanted to ask you about is you have some jokes pretty early on about uh, Bill Cosby and and Louis C.K., which I think is interesting, you know, to see which comics have kind of gone there with talking about other comics and which haven't. And obviously your friend Hannibal Burris is kind of like the original uh, comic who talked about Cosby on stage. So right. I'm, I'm curious how you think about that and how you, why you wanted to, uh, to include those jokes in, in your, in your hour. I just included jokes, whatever jokes got laughs night after night after night. Mm. So I and like those jokes that you, those, those 50, 55 minutes of jokes that you see in the special realized there was like five hours of jokes at the beginning of the tour and I only trimmed it down, trimmed it down, trimmed it. So it's almost like the customer is always right. Like it's that, that's what the audience wants. Yeah. Because you know, um, that special is after m- me doing 85 sets in 47 cities in a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what the people wanted. People lo- like, there's so much tension about those subjects that people want to release, you know? Mm-hmm more tense a subject the more at least my audience was like yes yeah and i think that's why south park is so successful and they're on their like 30th season you know i think that um for some reason people think like oh it's a taboo subject don't talk about it on stage it's the opposite it's Mm -hmm. like the audience is craving some release from the, the tension that those subjects create yeah what was what was your reaction to the uh, to everything that happened around Hannibal telling those Cosby jokes at the time? Because I was kind of surprising that it took that to to make people pay attention to that story. I think people wanted to talk about it for a while, and Hannibal put it like eloquently, and like Hannibal told me like that joke came out. There was a hubbub about it. It kind of died down, and then Bill Cosby and his publicity team in their like completely tone deaf out of touch way were like 
Bill Cosby was like, meme me. I want memes about me. <laughs> memes out. Like, oh, I'm God. sure you didn't know what a fucking meme was. And then all these people put out these, like, rape-centric Bill Cosby memes. And mm. then it blew up again. Uh, so yeah. I just think it was in... I think it's a little bit of, like, you can fool some people sometimes, but not all the people all the time. And I think, like, the guy was a serial rapist. And mm. it was only a matter of time before... Um, he paid the piper. I mean, the guy is like a sociopath. He's like Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I also think that, like there's some race politics in there. Maybe white liberals didn't feel comfortable taking Bill Cosby down, but once a black liberal right. and a black comedian kind of talked about it, it was like, okay, now we can finally talk about it. <laughs> I think there's some. Yeah. I think there's some of that. I think there's some of that, which is weird. But um, I think it was just his time and and social media now, like gives voice to the voiceless and the powerless. So like, like before social media, a woman that was raped by Bill Cosby, who could she tell that mm. would make the national, but like enough women were coming out and had social media as a platform to um, kind of like form a coalition. Yeah. I think there was a feeling at the time is like, why does it take a man talking about it when these women were, were speaking out some before, but I don't know if that, if you felt that way or, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I don't know. It's fucking dark, man. It's so dark. <laughs> it it's is. so fucked. That guy's fucked in the head. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's a sociopath. Yeah. But it's someone that has no remorse. I mean, it's dark. And his comedy always fucking sucked. I never got his fucking show. Really? It was just meandering dribble. There was no story. His comedy was stand up was so boring. I, I begged somebody to tell me a funny Bill Cosby joke. It is just so like G-rated. He's like a crock of shit. Guy. Mm. So what I want to do now is kind of go back and and look at some of your earlier credits and see if there's a, a story or, or memory that that pops to mind. Um, so I, you mentioned uh, Larry David, and I actually wanted to start with that. Uh, your experience being on the the Seinfeld reunion episode of of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, I, I didn't know I was going to be in the Seinfeld reunion until I showed up to set. Really. And then you, you walk into the Seinfeld set. Yeah, I was like, get the fuck. Well, I saw, I saw Seinfeld. I saw like Seinfeld and Jason Alexander and mm-hmm. like Julie Louis Dreyfus. And uh, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, it, that, that was completely surreal. That was right when I moved to LA. That was one of the first and the only things I ever booked because the. Um, I'm really good. I'm good with improv and the audition was all improv based. Mm-hmm. Whenever I had an audition that was just improv based, I would book it. But whenever it was like a script and I had to learn lines, I was like, I don't want to learn lines. <laughs> so, so, so it was weird. I got like, it's one of my favorite shows and I booked it right when I got to LA. I was like, Oh hell yeah. LA is going to be awesome. Yeah. And then I didn't book anything for like three years. <laughs> I scraped by on unemployment. Um, but, um, yeah, that was awesome. Were you a big Seinfeld fan? So what was that Huge. like to, to walk into the, into the set? And the- totally surreal. Totally awesome. I was like a little kid at Disneyland and just chatting up the cast and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and it was really- after my, and it was after Michael Richard. It was like three years after Michael Richard racist, uh, standup. Oh, really? He was like, he was like extra patient with me and black. <laughs> Any black person on set, he was talking to like for a long time and yeah. really nice, like overly nice, <laughs> really patient. 
So I was just like chatting his ear off and he was just like taking it. Yeah. Did you, did that whole, did his whole outburst make you think about him differently than uh That was one of my um, most influential stand-up sets in my life that, that shaped my. Really? Shape. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that was the cringiest, cringiest disaster on set. I've ever seen. <laughs> did it make you think about him differently though? Yeah, I also believe in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, I saw that. I was like, that that was a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he walks around. Like, I don't think he secretly has a KKK hood in his closet. Right. I think that he was, like, getting heckled. He was bombing. He was trying to, like, shock humor his way out of bombing. Like, he's Lenny Bruce, but he's not. He's not mm-hmm. a stand-up. He's just an actor with two different skills. And it was a total disaster. Uh, he apologized, I believe, in accepting people's apology. And I believe in forgiveness. So, like, I'm not like, I, I don't think he's in the alt-right. Yeah. You know, I don't think yeah. he's, I, I think we got a much more dangerous racist people on our hands mm. than Michael Richards yeah. right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. On the list of, like, bad guys, like, mm. I think Mitch McConnell is way more corrosive. <laughs> to the country than Michael Richards. I think you're right. I think you're right. So. Um, one uh, thing on your, on your resume that I, that I didn't know was going to be there when I was looking is uh, the big bang theory, which I oh, have yeah. to admit, I haven't seen that. My, show my, res- my resume outside of my show is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> outside of that, uh, my show or anything that I've like written yeah. in the movie or my standard social, it's pretty bad. It's like two broke girls, big bang theory, yeah, hot, a lot of, uh, hot in Cleveland, a lot of like, bad multi-cam sitcom but like when you're collecting unemployment and hot in cleveland's offering you three thousand bucks you're gonna take the three thousand bucks are there any opportunities on the in those situations to bring some like creative energy to it or do you feel like you're just there doing a very kind of Ah, too much no I, i feel like if i don't control the writing i don't control the creative Mm-hmm. I think the writing is the foundation. I think television is a writer's medium. And I think like all I can do is have fun with my performance, but that is not the comedy I set out to make, but mm-hmm. you know, it was a learning experience and it was nice being on like a big budget union set to learn, like to learn from the pros and how things are handled professionally. Like I took that, like, how production works into Eric Andre's show. So mm-hmm. all those were learning experiences. Yeah. Um, I can't talk too much shit. They're just like not my style of comedy. Mm-hmm. What about something like The Lion King? Is there any uh, creative creativity there? That, uh, yes. And voiceover, yes. Because voiceover, they want you to improvise. Mm-hmm. So like none of those lines were scripted. That was me and Keegan-Michael Key just imp- riffing, 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 riffing. I mean, mm-hmm. we had to hit plot points. Yeah. Uh, I can't say it's like completely unscripted, but like in voiceover, they encourage you to improvise so much. I feel like ownership over. Yeah. Um, Were there any kind of jokes that you got that you s- snuck into? I don't remember. Time? I only saw the movie once at the premiere. I got to watch it again. I don't yeah. totally remember, but I remember getting laughs in the premiere. So that's all the comedian cares about. Yeah. Well, look at this. <laughs> we weren't expecting guests today. Would you two cubs like to stay for dinner? Yeah, stay for dinner. Because you look like a midnight snack. Can you just give me a little bit of space? I'm helping. 
We have talked about this before. I come in alone. I'm the lead distraction so everyone can circle. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Don't be sorry. Just do it. I, I don't hate all my resume. I, I like Man Seeking Woman and I like Disenchantment. Yeah. Those I'm proud to be a part of. Um, but it's like the multi-cam sitcom stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I'm proud of Lion King, too. Yeah. Um, and I love John Favreau. Um, he he's just a great director. He's like mm. he's just so smart and calm. He's like a very calming force, um, and he's just been very sweet to me. He's the only reason I got on that movie. Mm -hmm. So he's an ally, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not embarrassed of all my resume. It's like early multicam sitcom stuff that I had to do. Yeah. Um, I was watching and reading a bunch of old interviews with you preparing for this. And the one that, that really stuck out was uh, the Larry King interview. Yeah. I just, I just had to hear from you what that experience was like uh, sitting down with, with Larry King. That was, my, fa that was my favorite interview. I could tell. <laughs> my favorite interview I've ever done. And, and besides the one I just did for Playboy, um, yeah. which was like written. But uh, he was the best straight man. Yeah. He was because he, really he knew nothing about me. He had no idea who he was talking to. He's 110 years old. He was completely out of his element, but he was like my old Jewish grandpa that I never had, kind of. Yeah. Know? So I just like, I relished in that. Did you have any interactions with him afterwards or did he? Did no, he but he was very much it? like, I want to do your show. I want to do Eric Andre's show afterwards. I was like, are you sure? Is that happening? Did that happen? No, you know what? I think we forgot. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many years, that was almost four years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, um, looking ahead to the to season five, um, is there anything that you can kind of share or, or talk about what the what the overall vibe is or anything for people to look forward to? Uh, I got rid of all my body hair except my eyebrows. So I bicked my head bald. I got rid of my goatee. I waxed my pubic hair. I gained 20 pounds. I got up to 205 pounds. I um, bleached my teeth. I tanned every day in a tanning bed. Um, I put on a ton of brute cologne. Um, and we just know how to produce pranks better. So like the pranks mm -hmm. are harder hitting. Uh, did the body modification. Uh, Hannibal gets up and quits mid-season. Hannibal didn't want to do the show anymore. <laughs> I was like, don't just quit, man. Like, people are going to think we had a falling out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, just do it like a little bit, do it like a couple episodes and quit like mid interview as a joke, just so yeah. we have, we have some closure. He's like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so we have like a funny moment there. And like, um, we have like a revolving door of great co-hosts, Lakeith Stanfield and Felipe Esparza. And there's an episode where we clone Hannibal and we make a Blannable clone. <laughs> we got great guests and a ton of rappers. We did Rapper Warrior Ninja again. We got um, Lil Yachty and Trippy Red and Talib Kweli and Danny Brown, Machine Gun Kelly. Um, I think we have more rappers on the show this year than ever. I don't know. It's the best season yet. We yeah. kind of like finally know how to make the show. Well, it's great <laughs> that you're able to shoot it before things shut down because it's like unclear oh my God. when things we are going to reopen. We finished shooting mid-February. Oh, and wow. then like two weeks later, it was just like... That is very lucky. God, we are so lucky. I'm glad I shot my Netflix special before it shut down. I did my tour before everything yeah. shut down. You're set now. You can just chill. I, I could just chill, kind of. <laughs> until, until I pay my taxes at the end of the year. Then I'm right. like, fuck. <laughs> 
I got to stop ordering stuff off Postmates and Caviar, dude. It's like yeah, that's the killer. thousand like dollars for a sandwich. They're like mm-hmm. totally taking advantage of the quarantine. <laughs> um, so we end every episode by asking comedians who is who is another comedian who has made you laugh the hardest in your life. Could be someone that you worked with or just watched, or or who comes to mind that really that really makes you laugh. The hardest I've laughed at a TV show in the last ten years is Nathan Fielder's show. Yeah. Uh, I cannot stop laughing. That show is so funny and so creative. And so every joke is completely unexpected and, and stream of consciousness. I think it's like one of the best shows on television and he's not doing it anymore. And I, I like every time I hang out with him, I beg him to do a fifth season. Yeah, please, uh, please do. Cause I, I would like that as well. Yeah, it's one of that. The hardest I ever laughed in my life is the Mr. Sparkle episode of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I laughed so hard I almost vomited. That was in twelfth grade. I laughed <laughs> so hard I had to leave the leave the room, and I started like hyperventilating. And one of the funniest jokes of all time I ever saw on a show was the rubber nipple salesman episode of Ren and Stimpy. Mm. Um, and that was like the first time I realized like comedy could be scary at the same time that it's funny. Oh wow, yeah. And it just like that's there's so much depth to a joke when it's like frightening and funny at the same time. Yeah, so that, that must have been a big influence on you. Huge number one influence, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to. Talk yeah, with thank me. you. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything. I'm glad that Thanks, you man. yeah you got all that stuff done. So yeah, now you can just uh, you can just relax for the rest of the year while we all stay shut down and uh, while we all toil in misery. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Have we'll a good talk one. soon. Take care. Right. Bye bye. Thank you so much to Eric Andre for being my guest on today's show. His stand-up special, Legalize Everything, premieres on Netflix next Tuesday, June 23rd. And look out for Bad Trip and Season 5 of The Eric Andre Show later this year. If you like this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Red Rock Music. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.